theme is the good fruit. And his topic was fruit must first be planted before it can grow. Then Brother Charles Cochran from the East Ridge congregation came to us and his topic was joy and peace, the result of a well-tended garden. Brother Roger Campbell from Greens Lake Road came to us speaking on love, the soil from which all other good fruit grows. Then, of course, we had Brother David Smith from the North Hamilton congregation, and he spoke on long-suffering, sometimes painful to grow, but always pleasant to harvest. Last week, we had Brother Reed Perry from the Chattanooga Valley congregation, and he spoke on kindness and goodness, having the right attitude even when the soil is hard. Tonight, we have Brother David Lopez coming to us, and I'm thankful for that, and his topic tonight is righteousness as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Righteousness. Righteousness is never rotten. Brother, come speak to us. John, this is pretty serious. Are we able to see that? Is it on the screen? No. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Rick. White Oak elders and congregation, thank you very much for allowing my wife and I to come here that I may teach. Uh, we thank you so much, Rick and family. Yeah, well, can you hear me? Rick and family, Rick and family, uh, church and family, thank you so much for allowing my wife and I to come here. Um, we want to say that we love you. Now, our lesson is righteousness is never rotten. Before I begin, I want to say this. I, I once heard that a wise man once said that well done is better than well said. If you see me looking at my notes a lot, it's because I want the content to get out to you. I would rather it be well done then well said. Uh, so if you would, you can go ahead and just take that notch off of my presentation. <laughs> but righteousness is never rotten. There's two ideas that run this whole lesson. It's the idea that God is righteous. Therefore, righteousness is never rotten. Why? Because God is never rotten. And because righteousness is never rotten, whether we live sinfully or godly, what will God always be? He will always be righteous and he will always respond righteously. Our aim tonight is to prove that God is righteousness by showing that whatever God yields is always good service. And the reason why we're going to define righteousness as good service, we're going to see here in a little bit by Brother Wayne Jackson. He gives an interesting definition, because usually when we think about righteousness, we think about judgment. We think about God bringing the hammer. And we also think about God rewarding those who are good and those who are loving, those who are obedient. God is righteous. In our introduction, we're going to define righteousness, rotten. We're going to see that God is righteous. We're going to define rotten and we're going to define righteousness. God is righteous. In Ezra 9.15, we read, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. 
For we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Like all the fruits of God's spirit, his righteousness is an absolute, is as absolute as his character. Because righteousness is of God and because God is absolute, what can we conclude? We can conclude that righteousness is never rotten because God is never rotten. But what is this word rotten? If we look at Ephesians 4, uh, verse 29, Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, a church that comes from a community, a Gentile pagan community where everybody was idolatrous and one of their biggest idols was a goddess of, of sexual pleasures, things like that. So they had a lot of rampant uh, desires that were in their heart when it came from, uh, in regards to their worship and their background. This idea of rotten, uh, rottenness, Paul tries to weed out from the Ephesians, and he says this, Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is good for edifying as the need may be, that it may give grace to them that hear. Most definitely that is application for us in regards to our practical living. But the idea here is this word rotten comes from a Greek word. And that Greek word right there, I would not try to pronounce it, but that Greek word right there is related to another Greek word that means to rot. And it gives the idea of a sinful behavior that only yields worthless service. This communication that these Ephesians were doing that Paul had to take out of their lives, out of their behaviors, it was worthless service for them for the people that could hear, and most definitely on behalf of their glorifying God. As Christians, we know that sinful, worthless behaviors only result in hell, and that is because these behaviors are sinful, and they're things that need to be repented of. But in contrast, there is the idea of righteousness. Let's read Romans 1, 16 through 19. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the New Testament, that word right there, meaning righteousness, is also translated just in several other passages. But this word is also used throughout the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of Uh, of a Hebrew word that is equivalent to righteous or just. What does that have to do with our lesson? Whatever we read in the New Testament about this particular idea of righteousness can also be accurately represented by uh, the Old Testament as well, by its Hebrew usages of righteous and just. So whatever we see in the Old Testament about righteous, we can see in the New Testament the principle should carry over. Now, according to Brother Wayne Jackson, that word righteousness carries the idea of yielding good service as opposed to worthless, sinless service. Good service is sinless and is beneficial for the self and also for others. Good service are actions and attitudes full of spiritual values. As we go throughout this lesson, let's think about, am I, as a Christian, are there things in my life that I am doing that have no spiritual value. I'm not talking about neutral actions such as uh, sleeping, things like that. I'm saying things that 
Do they corrupt somebody? Are they inherently sinful? Can I replace them with something that yields beneficial service on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of myself, and on behalf of others? So let's look at this. Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all wasn't even looking at This is the passage right here in Romans 1, 16 through 17. And that word is connected with Hebrews' word found in Nehemiah 9, 8, and 33. Righteousness yields good service. Righteousness in the form of good service is obedient subjection. Get this. Is obedient subjection to a social norm of standard or standard. And in the Bible, that norm, that standard is God's holiness. When we think about God's righteousness, we can never separate it from his holiness. Because he's pure and holy, God must be righteous. What does this mean to us? We're going to look at his commands, his teachings, and his revelations. And we're going to see how all of that, that all that God has presented to man in regards to his righteousness and those three forms have always yield good service. In the Old Testament, God's commands were righteous. The psalmist, uh, many believe that this is King David who wrote this psalm. King David sits here and says, my tongue shall speak of your word. Why? For all your commands are righteous. I know in today's world, uh, while the psalmist is sitting here speaking about the Old Testament, that principle most definitely holds true for God's commandments today, which we Christians must follow. All of Jesus' commands, we must follow them, and they are righteous. In today's world, many people want to dismiss God's righteous commandments. In today's world, many people don't, simply don't want God's commandments. But also in the Old Testament, God commands, not only were they righteous, but they led Israel to be righteous. Deuteronomy 6.25, Moses, God is using Moses to present a new living for his people that were just slaves, and now he's going to change them into a nation that glorifies God. He's presenting totally new commandments that separate these slave Hebrews to uh, or from the Egyptians and their teachings and their cultures that would have undoubtedly so influenced them. And this is what he says about, uh, or this is what Paul, or not Paul, this is what Moses presents in Deuteronomy. Then it will be righteousness for us, for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, our God as he has commanded us. Then it will be righteousness for us if what? If we are careful to observe all these righteous commandments. In the New Testament, God's commands are righteous as well. Second Timothy 3.16, Paul speaking to that young preacher says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Do you want to be righteous? Then you go to God's commands, particularly his New Testament, and we obey them. In the New Testament, God's commands lead us to be righteous. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and we all know about the church at Corinth. They were over, they were overran with all kinds of sins. All kinds of sins. But he sends a second letter to them after they've made some corrections. And he says this, for he made him, for God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the only way we could become that righteousness is one in part, yes, 
We needed Jesus. But the other part is obeying the commandments that put us aligned with Jesus. In the New Testament, God's, uh, God's good service in the Old Testament in regards to commandments can also be seen in the ways in which these commandments, uh, the ways in which these commandments take place. And it's also, it's often called the way. When you're obeying these righteous commandments, you're obeying the ways of God. In the Old Testament, God's ways were righteous. Not only were his commandments, but the very practice of those commandments were righteous. Second Kings 2, 1 through 4, King David on his deathbed, speaking to his son, allude, speaking to his son Solomon, alludes to this idea when he says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. In the Old Testament, God's ways instructed Israel to live rightly or to go about having right living. How many... It, my wife and I often reflect about our past. I'm pretty sure y'all reflect about y'all's past often as well. Every other day, every now and then, you think about your past. I was a ranked sinner. Um, I did not grow up in the ways of the Lord. I didn't grow up in the righteous commandments of God. I was a ranked sinner. My wife, she struggled as well. We were struggling individuals. But it's interesting, when we look at what has happened Ever since we have been following the righteous commandments of God, what have we noticed? Well, we've noticed that our living is no longer sinful, but our living is righteous. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites followed God's commandments, followed God's ways, it was the same principle. Proverbs 19.27, the son to whom David was speaking would write this, When you cease listening to instruction, my son... And you will stray from then you will stray from the words of knowledge. And in particular, in regards to God's commandments, some of those other verses on there, we notice that in Proverbs 15, 19, what do these ways do for us? What do what does God's instructions do for us? Well, in Proverbs 15, 9. I'm sorry, let me go ahead and get this verse up here. In Proverbs 16, 15, 9, it helps us to build a relationship with God. That is most important. But when we look at Proverbs 14, 34, we already know about a nation that keeps God's righteousness. What happens to them? They are exalted. This idea carries over in the New Testament as well. God's ways are righteous. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 Jesus speaking says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many uh, who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Righteousness only produces life. There is no there is nothing else or there is no sinful attribute that produces life. But the fruit of the spirit, that being righteousness must produce life. Why? Because where is righteousness seated? In the character of God. Does God ever rot? No. 
God is always living. And righteousness does the same for us. In the New Testament, God's ways lead Christians to live better, does it not? God's righteousness gets us on the track and keeps us on the track. Romans 12, 2, Paul speaking again to the church at Rome says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect, or that is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And lastly, when we talk about righteousness and it being good service, we have to consider the revelations that have been the, the revelations that have been transported through the Old Testament and the New Testament that makes up the sum of our Bibles. Hey, y'all. Number one, in the Old Testament, God revealed how sin and death came into the world. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, what shall happen? You shall surely die. That was God's righteousness telling Adam, when you eat this apple, I'm telling you, my righteousness will come into play. And what's going to happen? Two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to have to remove, as we learn in uh, the, ne- the very next chapter of Genesis, I'm going to have to remove the tree of life. You will not live forever on this earth. But number two, spiritually, you die. And you remain in that state until what? Well, until the Christ comes. And we know that when we look at Genesis chapter 3, isn't that the promise that God made to uh, Eve that she would bring forth a seed? And that seed would be Jesus. In the Old Testament, God revealed that the Savior would come into the world. In Isaiah 7, I, it's interesting, this, chap, this passage right here, because sometimes we just focus on the fact of Isaiah's statement where he says, oh, you're gonna have a, uh, there's going to be a virgin birth. I had a, uh, my first week at a, uh, on a job in Dallas. I was working with a homeless congregation. And while I was there, we, my wife and I worked with this homeless church for about a year. First day on the job. My wife comes in while I'm studying this material, not necessarily righteousness, but the Bible, looking through Isaiah, all these different passages. My wife comes in and says, hey, David, there's a man outside who's you might want to talk to. That man was going around speaking to our church members and arguing that the reason why Jesus was born of a virgin was so that he did not inherit the sins of his father. He was a Calvinist. And the idea was, Sins are passed down from the Father. That's not what's in this passage. But alongside this Isaiah 7, 14 passage, the context is, just in case you've ever heard an argument, Rick, where that gets brought up, Isaiah chapter 7, God is giving this promise of the virgin birth to, uh, to, to reconfirm to Ahaz and the nation of Israel that they will not be utterly destroyed by the enemies that Ahaz and Israel were terrified of. Ahaz thought that they were going to be destroyed, to which God says, no. Why? Because there has to be a virgin birth. And if you are destroyed and if Israel is destroyed, then there can be no virgin birth. I'm sorry for the, di- uh, the, the, the digress or the digress, the digression, 
But let's see, Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin shall conceive and bear forth the son. And we see that being fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. In the New Testament, God reveals that Jesus, the Savior, will lead Christians to righteousness. In 1 John 2, 1, the disciple of love says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That statement right there put Jesus Christ on the same status as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because the previous passages that we have looked at confirm that God is righteous. And that statement right there is putting him on the same level as God. In the New Testament, God reveals that Jesus will return to bring about the completion of righteousness. When we think about righteousness, this is usually what we think about. When God comes back to bring vengeance upon the world, to punish the evildoer and to reward those who have loved him, he will be yielding good service for his creatures. He will be permanently separating those of us who are trying to do right and those of them, I believe that's incorrect grammar, but those of them who are trying to do wrong. And that is good service. Let's read what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, in the, the church at Thessalonica. He says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance. This idea of vengeance you cannot have without God's righteousness. God's righteousness is arguably the biggest attribute that plays a part in the idea of God's vengeance. So much so that, again, when we think about righteousness, what do we think about? Justice. God bringing the hammer. God bringing vengeance. Taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Christ. What are we getting at here? The pattern is clear. Righteousness always yields good service. The good service that God yielded in his uh, old commandments are reflected in his new commandments, in his old teachings, in his new teachings, in his old ways, in his new ways, in his old revelations, in his new revelations. Everything God has done has been to yield good service. As a matter of fact, everything he can do can only yield good service. Righteousness always yields good service. Therefore, righteousness is never rotten. Because righteousness always yields good service, whether we live sinfully or godly, God will respond righteously. Have any of us been lacking in our yielding of good service? Has anybody here uh, been doing worthless service, sinful service in our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors with ourselves or with others? If so, we, we need to repent of that. If there's somebody here who has yet to come to the righteousness of God, that is, who has yet to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who has yet to repent, to confess his name and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, I'm urging you to study with Christians here, and I'm going to have to plug in my good friend Rick. Uh, no, he's a minister here. 
study with Rick so that you can get on track to get that done and that you too can become righteousness of God. And if there's any Christians here who just need prayers or encouragement, you've been going through a little bit, please come on down while together we stand and sing.